Hi everybody, Jimmy DeYoung. Welcome to Prophecy Today. I'm here at Broadcast Central in Chattanooga, Tennessee. We've got our broadcast partners scattered all over the world. We'll be talking to them today. They have some very important reports that they will give to us, helping us to look at current events in light of biblical prophecy. We're going to be talking with Ken Timmerman. He's in France, in Europe. We're going to be talking to many others who will help us to get a hold of a look at current events. Everybody's always talking about what they're reading in the newspaper or hearing on radio or television news or commentary programs. And we want to address these issues as well right here on Prophecy Today. It's a part of our mission to get this information out to you. Going to Ken Timmerman, as I promised Looks like the United States has pulled out all non-emergency staff from Iraq, Ken, as the U.S.-Iranian tensions seem to mount. Talk to me about this situation. Looks like it's getting hot. Well, it is getting hot, and it's getting hot because the Iranians are feeling the pressure of renewed U.S. sanctions that have really impacted, seriously impacted their oil exports. The goal of the Trump administration is to bring them from two million barrels a day down to zero. They've already brought them to half, so the Iranians are now a little bit under one million barrels a day, and uh, the U.S. made sure this past month there would be no more oil waivers for countries that were importing Iranian oils, and they would face sanctions as well. So this is having a serious impact. The Iranians are worried, and they are seeking their best to strike out at uh, U.S. interests to make us back off from the sanctions. It's not going to work. What happened here, and the reason that the United States is on alert and has pulled out non-essential personnel from Iraq is that they had a tip-off from a defector from the Islamic Revolutionary Guards Corps who came out a couple of weeks ago. We discussed this uh, last week. And uh, the defector uh, provided the U.S. with detailed intelligence on Iran's war plans, on their sabotage units, on their intention of hitting Americans in Iraq and elsewhere. And I can tell you it's not just U.S. diplomats who are pulled out. Civilians were uh, contractors and people who were working for the U.S. government have also been put on notice that the Iranians, using their 100,000-man militia group in Iraq, are going to be stalking uh, Americans in Iraq. So this is a really serious business. The Trump administration takes it seriously. And as we saw last week, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo went to Baghdad to tell the Iraqi government that we're going to hold them responsible for the actions of those pro-Iranian Shiite militia groups. Well, we carried your article on our home page of our website, prophecytoday.com. You had that on the Fox News opinion page, and I believe you're the very first one that was able to give me the information, at least, about this defector pretty high up in the Revolutionary Guard, I think the chief of intelligence there in Iran, uh, which talked about and warned the United States that, uh, indeed, Iran or some of its proxies were going to go after U.S. personnel and our facilities. Now, the militia there in Iraq would be one of those proxies. Hamas in the southern Gaza Strip in the state of Israel. Hezbollah in southern Lebanon. And a couple of others, the Huftis there in Yemen. Uh, These are all proxies that Iran, they don't have to take on 
the United States head on, but they can use their proxies to attack personnel and facilities, can't they? Well, that's right. And, and that's their preferred manner of action. The Iranians learned in 1987 when they confronted the U.S. Navy in the Persian Gulf, and we sank a third of their Navy in about 12 hours. They learned not to take us on directly. They understood that a direct confrontation military to military with the United States would be a losing proposition for them. So they have for you know decades now built up these proxy forces and their instructions to them are to act with no Iranian fingerprints. We saw this on 9-11, Jimmy. People still, uh, uh, to the majority of Americans, still aren't aware that Iran helped and trained the al-Qaeda terrorists who attacked us on 9-11, September 11, 2001. The Iranians were helping them. The Iranians had a, a flight simulator that they specially imported from China for Boeing 757 767 aircraft that the Iranians didn't have in their own fleet. Mm. And they imported that simulator just so the Arab pilots from al-Qaeda could train on the aircraft that they knew they were going to hijack in the United States. Most Americans aren't aware of that. But that's another example of how the Iranians use proxy forces to avoid fingerprints back to them in their ongoing war against America. And this war has been going on for over 40 years now. Ken, should the U.S.-Iranian thing come to a situation of actual all-out war? Do you think this confrontation will include Israel? Uh, yes, and, and the Iranians themselves say repeatedly that Israel is the source of all the conflict in the Middle East and that Israel should cease to exist. They would wipe it off the map. It's Arab territory and on and on. You really don't have to search very far to find those kind of statements from Iranian leaders. Every single week this past week gave us just another example with the anniversary of what, what the Arabs call the Nakba, the catastrophe of the expulsion of Palestinians. By the way, the, the voluntary withdrawal of Palestinians from uh, Israeli territory in 1947. And so Iran constantly makes this kind of statement, and they would love to draw Israel into a battle with Iran because they believe Iran would then be the force of the Muslim world, would be the leading force of the Muslim world, and that the Arab states would come behind them. That is not going to happen, by the way. And this is where things get really interesting, is that the Iranians are very capable of miscalculating here. We, we always defer to them as the inventors of the game of chess, but the Mullahs in Tehran are not quite as smart as the Persians who invented chess, and they're quite capable of making a gross miscalculation, and they would do so if they take us head-on or they take the Israelis on head-on. Well, I uh, have read a report, maybe you read the same report, Ken, that uh, a couple of uh, newscasters there in Iran said that the Golan, the Golan Heights, is the next target to hit after the three Gulf oil targets that were taken out by the Revolutionary Guard. What do we know? And that's quite possible. So the Revolutionary Guard uses journalists, just uh, as the rest of the regime does, to telegraph their intentions. And after they hit Fujairah, which they've essentially admitted to having done, 
Fujairah, which is that port in the United Arab Emirates where they hit oil tankers. And they're using the Houthis as well in Yemen to attack Saudi Arabia. And so on that target list is the Golan Heights. And we know that Iran has been interested in the Golan for a long time. The past couple of years, they have built up yet another proxy organization in Syria to occupy the Golan Heights and be directly on that confrontation line with Israel. The Israelis managed to push them back, so they are no longer there. But that was one of their goals in Syria, was to put a proxy force in the Golan Heights on the line of confrontation with Israel. So to see that they would launch missiles, because that's now what we're talking about, is the short-range missiles that the Iranians have sent to Syria, that they would launch missiles on the Golan Heights, I think is a, you know, a very logical next step for them to take. What do you know about the Saudi paper, which is urging a military strike against Iran? Would the government, uh, the kingdom, uh, be calling for this type of a situation as well? The Saudi government would love to uh, see military strikes on Iran carried out by the United States. <laughs> they are afraid to do it themselves because they don't want to have the retaliation against them, but they would love for the United States to hit Iran, and they would love us to hit the, the Iranian regime with a death blow because the Saudis are in direct confrontation with them. They are being attacked today as we speak by Iranian proxy forces, the Houthis in Yemen. Look, this militia in Yemen is even launching missiles at the Riyadh civilian airport, mm. the civilian airport of the capital of, the, of Saudi Arabia. Mm. Uh, and that, that's quite extraordinary if you think about it. So the Saudis would love to see us take out the Iranians, but uh, I, I don't think that's going to happen unless the Iranians make a huge miscalculation of which they are entirely capable. Well, and isn't that motivated basically by about 40 years of hatred towards America, starting back uh, when uh, the Ayatollah Ali Khomeini came in and took over? Absolutely. For, since the beginning of the revolution, the Islamist regime, or I call them the Islamic State of Iran, has declared war against us. And we can put a date on it, Jimmy. It's not a, it's not a mystery. They declared war against America on November 4th, 1979. 40 years, you know, 40 years ago when they took diplomats at the U.S. Embassy hostage and held them for 444 days. And ever since then, the regime in Tehran has been attacking America. They've been hitting us around the Middle East. I was in Beirut in 1983 when they hit our embassy the first time. 63 people were killed. Again, that October, they killed another 241 U.S. Marines mm -hmm. in Lebanon. And they've been hitting us repeatedly ever since then, both directly through proxies, and we have done nothing. For the first time, and this is what's changed and it's very significant, for the first time in 40 years, there is now a government in Washington, an administration in Washington, who recognizes this undeclared war by Iran and is going to stand up to them. And the Iranians don't really know what to do because they, they, they expected American administrations to do what Obama did or what George W. Bush did or even what Ronald Reagan did, which is to leave when it struck. This administration has vowed not to do that. And President Trump, he likes to call himself a counterpuncher when it comes to politics. But America is a counterpuncher as well. And the president and his team have made it clear that if the Iranians hit us, we're going to hit them back and hit them hard. That will be the case. And when it does happen, if it does happen, Ken Timmerman and I will have a conversation about it and giving you insight 
into what is taking place. Ken, great report. Thank you. You're on top of everything. Appreciate it so very much. We're going to be talking for sure next week. Thank you, buddy. Thank you, Jimmy. God bless. Going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to a Middle East news update. David Dolan has it. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Have you ever wanted to know more about God's plan for the future? Have you ever tried to understand prophetic passages in God's Word, like, say, the book of Revelation, and been frustrated at not being able to figure it out? Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest CD series, Keys for Unlocking God's Plan for the Future, will help you gain the ability to understand where to start in your study of prophecy and allow you to read God's Word in a new and exciting way. Understanding God's prophetic Word will allow you to live a pure and productive life until Jesus returns for the church. Keys will help you gain the tools you need to understand the end-time events as foretold in God's Word. Dr. DeYoung lays out a systematic approach to Bible prophecy for those who want to know God's plan for the future. Tracks included are A Roadmap Through the End Times, The Jew in Jerusalem, Daniel and the Antichrist, Ezekiel and Messiah's Temple, and Revelation and Babylon. To order your copy of Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's Keys for Unlocking God's Plan for the Future, visit our website at prophecytoday.com. Prophecy Today is heard all across the USA on the Prophecy Today radio network, but also it is heard around the world through our website at prophecytoday.com. And Jay, there are many other features on our prophecytoday.com website, like daily news updated out of the Middle East as it pertains to what's happening prophetically. Special reports can be heard right on our website at prophecytoday.com. We have Prophecy Q&A available for you. Questions asked in the past can be answered on the website if you just check it out and go to that particular spot. Prophecy Quiz is available, and parts of our Prophecy Today program, if you should miss any part of it, will be heard the next week right here at prophecytoday.com. And don't forget, you can even email your questions to us for our live radio broadcast. Just go to our website at prophecytoday.com. You'll be amazed, you'll be surprised at what you'll find on our website. Be sure to visit us at prophecytoday.com on the World Wide Web. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. Jimmy DeYoung here at Broadcast Central. We bring David Dolan to this broadcast table over 30 years experience as a journalist in the Middle East. At one time, the person who was responsible to CBS for their radio broadcast coming out of the region of the world as well. But now we're so thrilled to have him here on Prophecy Today. David Dolan has great insight. He brings it to this table. With the tensions ratcheting up between the United States and Iran, David, uh, they are saying that the Golan Heights would be the next target after Iran has hit uh, three of the Gulf oil targets there in the Persian Gulf area. Uh, What is Israel, if anything, are they saying about the Golan Heights as a target for the Iranians in this tension between the U.S. and Iran? Well, Jimmy, the Israelis have been expecting attacks upon their forces in the Golan. Actually, of course, we've already had several of those uh, limited attacks, but nevertheless attacks. And, of course, we had Iran fire a couple rockets, the last one in uh, January, I think it was, at the Golan. So this is a very serious possibility. And, of course, we've been reporting on the building up of Hezbollah forces dressed as Syrian soldiers right along the border. Other militias that are allied with Iran are active there as well. So the that was the deputy commander of the Revolutionary Guards that basically admitted 
that Iran had carried out the attacks last Sunday on four oil tankers off the United Arab Emirates coast, uh, just outside of the Straits of Hormuz. And uh, that was a very serious incident. And, of course, on Tuesday, an oil pipeline was blown up in Saudi Arabia by drones that were Iranian-made drones uh, uh, run by the Houthi rebels, Iranian-backed Houthi rebels in Yemen, south of Saudi Arabia. That, of course, is an act of war. It closed the pipeline down, and they hit uh, other targets there as well. So a strike on uh, the Golan was mentioned by the deputy commander, but, of course, the Overall, Commander Salami said that the whole region is on the cusp of a major war and that the United States would be confronted by Iran if it does anything against Iran. Well, of course, it's Iran that's provoking this whole situation. And we've had, of course, over the years, how many times Iranian leaders saying that they would strike at Israel if there was any conflict involving the United States or if any action from the United States against them. So, Jimmy, the whole region is on the knife edge, the cusp of conflict, full conflict, as he said, Salome said. It's a very dangerous situation, and the Israelis are on full alert, watching for what might happen. Well, I know the prime minister has told his chiefs, the generals there in the Israeli Defense Force, to keep Israel out of this confrontation. However, your thoughts as a man knowledgeable of the region for many years, do you think Israel will be included in what's going on? Jimmy, uh, over the years we've talked about the bits and pieces of this buildup, but uh, from 1979, that's a long time ago, a year before I first went to Israel, moved to Israel, the new Iranian revolutionary regime then was saying, its ultimate goal was to destroy the great Satan, the United States, and the little Satan, Israel. Uh, that was repeated many times by Ayatollah Khomeini, the original founder of the revolution, and his successor, Ayatollah Khamenei, is also saying that. Quite often we get those comments from all the various leaders, the military leaders, and this sort of thing. So this has been a build-up towards a, well, uh, one of the Iranian leaders this week called it the conflict of the ages. They see themselves setting off the final, their version of Armageddon that will bring the 12th Imam back, and you know the whole story, and most of your listeners are probably familiar with it as well. They want to set off major global conflict, and they've been preparing not just in the region, but they have Hezbollah terror cells stationed all over South, Central, and North America. We know that. We know that they're operating in Southeast Asia. They're helping the Philippine Muslim terrorists there. They're uh, creating problems in Indonesia. They're all over the world, actually, with their money mainly, their oil money, but setting up these cells. They've uh, created some in Australia, we believe, even. So this is a very worldwide situation, Jimmy, and they've been building up to this war that will certainly focus on attacks upon Israel. The Israelis cannot stay out of it. Uh, They really know that. The prime minister is expressing his desire to avoid war. Again, this isn't Israel starting this. It was Iran that said, we declare war against you 40-some years ago, and has been building up and attacking periodically through its proxy forces. What we've had three or four battles with Hezbollah. We've had all sorts of battles with Hamas and Islamic Jihad, supported by Iran, and all sorts of attacks in Syria, in Iraq. And what they're really worried about, Jimmy, and intelligence reports coming out of Israel confirm this, that the U.S. has substantial, strong evidence that Iran is planning to hit 
military bases in Iraq and Syria that belong to the United States. There's three in Syria, two along the southern border next to Iraq and uh, Jordan. And there were t- 11 or 12 uh, in Iraq. I think there's only about five or six open now, Jimmy. Most have closed. But there's, of course, some major bases there as well, and they want to kill personnel. And uh, there's just no chance the Israelis could just sit and watch that. And there's no chance, uh, really, in such a conflict that Iran won't order its forces in Lebanon and the other allies it has all over the region. They have them in the Sinai Peninsula next to the Gaza Strip also. So inside of Egypt, they have supporters in Libya all over the region. It's a serious, serious situation unfolding for sure. Uh, President Trump, just like Netanyahu, has stated very clearly he does not want war. Uh, And we know that. He wanted to pull our forces out of Syria. He didn't like the war in Iraq at all. But he's being shown what we're hearing, intelligence that confirms that they are planning a massive attack on U.S. and Israeli forces. And, And, of course, the rocket barrages of last week were fierce and testing some several new Iranian rockets on uh, Israeli cities and towns. That's an act of war. They've been creating active wars all along, Jimmy. It's just been that we have sort of resisted that, tried not to have another Iraqi conflict, tried to avoid it. But, you know, it takes, I've said it, two to make peace, just one party to make war. They look like they've decided to go to war. Let's uh, change the focus just a little bit, David. U.S. Embassy celebrating the first anniversary there in Jerusalem. It was a historic event that happened last year when the United States moved their embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. Now a celebration of the one-year anniversary of that. Other nations, considering some of the nations, are now getting ready to move their embassy there into Jerusalem. Quite an exciting experience that's happened, right? It is indeed, Jimmy. And we have a debate going on in Australia, actually, right now as to whether the Australian embassy should be moved, and the Labor Party saying if it is moved, we'll move it back to Tel Aviv, and the Conservative Party saying no, we would put it there and leave it there. So this is being debated in many capitals and countries. Uh, there's about 12 others that are considering moving that I've heard of. It's exciting indeed, Jimmy, and of course, when the world's greatest power currently, the superpower, biggest superpower, the United States take such a bold move. It's really not bold because Israel's capital is and has been Jerusalem for a long time, and it's actually been quite silly. When I lived there, you know, when we wanted to, and when I had to get a passport renewal, I could do that in Jerusalem at the uh, American consulate, but for other business, several other uh, items of business, you had to go to Tel Aviv to do it. He had to leave the capital city and go to the coastal economic capital, but not the capital city, to do any business. Well, that was silly. And, of course, the U.S. Embassy, as you recall, I'm sure, was attacked by terrorists um, that came in from the sea. It's right next to the uh, Mediterranean Sea. Mm-hmm. You're right next, you cross the road, and there you're at it. So it's actually safer in Jerusalem, too, Jimmy. Much better security where it's located now. A brand-new building. I've been in it. It's wonderful. But uh, it really was a bold move, and the Israelis continue to uh, rejoice in it, and Jerusalem Day is coming up on uh, June 1st. They plan special celebrations then as well, but also a security crackdown because we are expecting uh, more terror attempts in the coming hours and days as of these events are unfolding. 
Jerusalem day, they're going to bar the Jews from going up onto the Temple Mount. That doesn't sound logical. Well, it's really, though, Jimmy, because it also coincides with the very end of the Muslim fasting month of Ramadan. And that always is a time when the Israelis close down the Temple Mount entirely because it has traditionally been a time of great rioting on the Temple Mount and in Jerusalem and other locations. So they're not doing it to keep the Jews out, really, but a consequence of shutting it down will be that Jews won't be able to pray there on Jerusalem Day, and that is indeed a sad uh, occurrence. Of course, uh, most Jews don't go up there and pray anyway because they don't want to violate the sanctity of the Mount they pray just below it at the Western Wall, where they'll still be able to do that uh, this Jerusalem Day. And Jerusalem Day, of course, the celebration of the Six-Day War in '67. When the Israeli Defense Force took back the Temple Mount after about 2,000 years of history. David Dolan with our Middle East News update. So key to our understanding of how a prophetic scenario can unfold in our world today. David, thank you so much. We'll talk again next week. Glad to do it, Jimmy. God bless. We're going to take a break. Winky Madad standing by. Going to talk about Nakba Day, a catastrophe as far as the Palestinians are concerned. And what about that congresswoman who was talking about the Holocaust and the Palestinians giving the Jews a safe haven? That's what we'll talk about with Winky Madad upcoming right here on Prophecy Today. Have you always wanted to visit the land of Israel? Imagine what it would be like to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. With Joshua Travel, you can visit Israel past, present, and prophetic. The Bible will come alive as you see places like the shepherd's field where our Lord was born, Caesarea Philippi, Cana of Galilee, Capernaum, the Garden of Gethsemane, and the Garden Tomb. You'll even experience an exciting boat ride on the Sea of Galilee. You'll visit each site with Bible in hand as we take the time to not just visit the sites, but to help you understand their importance to our biblical heritage and to our prophetic future. We will place special emphasis on the eternal city of Jerusalem, the most important city in the world, and the place from where Jesus will rule and reign one day. Call Joshua Travel today at 423-821-3635 to find out more about this trip of a lifetime, or you can visit us online at joshuatravel.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung. We move into our second half hour. Now, wait a minute. Remember, I asked for three half hours. You're only one-third of the way through. We need this 90 minutes to give you our broadcast partners when they bring their reports to the broadcast table. We can better understand current events in light of biblical prophecy. Now, we're going to have some very interesting conversations in a moment. Mike Gendron will come to the broadcast table. We're going to be talking about the Pope who wants to go global. In fact, he wants to have a one-world church and a one-world government. He's doing everything to make preparation for it. Don't want to miss that conversation. It's at the end of this half hour. But right now we go to Winky Madad. He's in a place called Shiloh, center part of the state of Israel. Has a great history dating back about 3,500 years ago when Joshua brought the children of Israel into the promised land who moved the tabernacle at that time to this place called Shiloh. We in the United States sometimes mispronounce it Shiloh, but it's Shiloh in Israel. And the former mayor of Shiloh, 
We always invite him to come on the broadcast when we can with us, Winky Madad. He's going to join us in a conversation, a potpourri of items that we want to discuss today. Now, normally when we catch him, it's a chicken soup time, chicken soup coming pretty good. It's simmering there on the stove as you talk with me. It is, Jimmy. I can tell you that getting ready for the Shabbat, the Sabbath, uh, is not an overnight operation. It takes us a couple of days to get uh, into everything, including me doing the shopping at the Machana Yehuda market, which you know very well. Yes. Choosing the best and then working a couple of hours. My wife and I divide up uh, the menu that we have and we all get to work. Boy, that's a fun experience, the Sabbath. Well, let me get serious now here for a moment. Uh, The Palestinian people who have been causing trouble all year long with their demonstrations there at the border of the Gaza Strip with the State of Israel, this last week uh, they commemorated, uh, I started to say celebrated, I'm not sure which they do, commemorate or celebrate Nakba Day. Now, first of all, if you will, that's an Arabic word. Define it, and then tell us what Nakba Day is all about. Well, Jimmy, there are two words in Arabic that those who follow the Middle East and, uh, of course, the Arab conflict with Israel should know. One is Naksa, N-A-K-S-A, and the other one, which you just pronounced correctly, is Nakba, N-A-K-B-A. Naksa is a simple defeat. Losing a battle, losing a campaign, something of that nature. Nakba, though, comes to mean something catastrophic, something really, really major in terms of a defeat or a loss. And interestingly enough, originally uh, that term was applied to what the Arabs did in not being able to eradicate the state of Israel at its birth back in 1948. He blamed, in other words, the Nakba was not what the Jews did to the Arabs in uh, Mandate Palestine, but what the Arabs did to themselves, or they were not capable of dealing with the situation. They ruined everything. They invaded Israel and lost more territory than what the United Nations had even given them. And ever since then, this has been one of the major fundamental points of contention. They still want to eradicate, eliminate uh, as much as possible what we gained, not only in 1967, but in 1948. And so that's the background of this. It also indicates to you why the demonstrated defense. I mean, even if they do get a state, they're not getting Israel back. They're only getting Gaza and Judea and Samaria, as I call them, the West Bank, as the world knows them, if they do do that. So why are they trying to burn through the fence, crash through the fence, incendiary kites and balloons and all sorts of sniping and uh, terror tunnels. It doesn't make sense, or gradually, I think we understand, it does make sense. They don't want us around anywhere. Yeah, and that took place on May the 15th, which marks the Independence Day, the birth of the State of Israel, the Jewish State of Israel, 71 years old this year. It's so interesting to me, and the world needs to pay attention to this, that the Israeli government allows the Palestinians to hold a day of commemoration and demonstration calling for the demise of the Jewish state of Israel. I don't know of any other nation in the world that does that. Well, Jimmy, sometimes we're so unique that we um, fool ourselves sometimes in the liberties that we grant people 
we're not just demonstrating for rights or for liberties or for, as you do in the United States, for environment or land issues or all sorts of things like that. You're not demonstrating against the state uh, per se. You're not trying to undermine the government. You just want to change policy mm-hmm. of the elected officials. That's not the case when Arabs in Israel demonstrate by going to various places and saying that we don't want to recognize the state, uh, we want to roll back history 71 years and all that, but we try to do the best we can under the circumstances. Jimmy, you know, and I think the listening public should know, we also keep on all during the hostilities with Gaza. Every once in a while, we open up and send in foodstuffs, medical supplies, and other Mm -hmm. things in the midst of the fighting. Mm -hmm. So, yes, we happen to be a very unique state. Very, very unique. Uh, It's just like the fact that uh, the Jewish people, the chosen people, heard one dear Jewish friend say one day, well, I wish God would choose somebody else just for a little while (laughs) and leave (laughs) us alone. Well, let me ask this. Do you see a war with Hamas, a possibility of this summer? Um, I have to admit there is always this possibility because the reasons that Hamas encourages war or hostilities has nothing to do with their ability either to win or an immediate cause. Uh, It's more to do with are they trying to divert the attention of the population to something else rather than the fact that they as a governing body are running their landmass into into sand. They are not allowing their people freedom. They're not allowing them economic opportunities. Uh, electricity is often on, not due to Israel, uh, and all sorts of issues. They even get into problems with Egypt every once in a while. Hmm. Uh, so you never know why or when something will break out. And as we saw, Jimmy, and I want to stress this to our listeners, Don't forget, it's not only Hamas, it's Iran with other groups in Gaza who are also stirring the pot there and uh, using them as agents in order to help or assist Iranian goals and aims or requirements as it develops in other places around the Middle East. Yeah, that is so, and that's what we're observing and reporting to the people right here on Prophecy Today Weekend. Winky, I call you when I need to talk about something that's going on among the Jewish people or out there in the settlements or something's key that we need to have a better understanding of. But let me ask you about something going on here in the United States where a freshman congressman, congresswoman, I should say, Rashida Talib, made a statement about the Holocaust. Let me ask you about that first. I'm sure you've read it or heard it. And then I want to talk to you about the Palestinian people. Did they really offer the Jews a safe haven from the Holocaust? First, the statement she made about the Holocaust. Well, Jimmy, I think that Rashida happens to be a very smart person, or at least a person who is able to understand what she's being told to do. And she is engaged in disrupting not only the Democratic Party, which for decades was sympathetic to Israel Zionism and the Jewish people into a radical, progressive, liberal, come socialist type of a party, which we see in Europe, especially in England with this Jeremy Coburn and his anti 
uh, Israel and Zionist issues. And it's, it's a whole new political game, which I don't think the American people as a whole uh, really understand what's happening in terms of the rift or the split in the Democratic Party, one wing, the old Democrats, and the new wing being very radical and, and progressive, which will only do damage not only to the Democratic Party and its politicians, but the United States. And in her statement, trying to move, I think they say now, move the envelope, move the envelope of the state of Israel was the result of the Holocaust, and we suffered, we Arabs, we suffered because Europe or everybody else dumped the Jews of Europe, the remnants of the horrible Holocaust, on us with no real reason, and we have to suffer. That's a complete perversion of the historical record. Well, in addition to that, I think she was rewriting history when she talked about the Palestinians offering the Jews a safe haven from the Holocaust there in, at that time, known as Palestine. Yes, Jimmy. I mean, I think we've gone over this many times in our program. The Arabs never accepted any Jewish national framework, call it a state, call it an autonomy, call it anything else, in the 1920s and 30s and 40s. They went violently uh, to riots and murders and pogroms in 20, 1921, 1929, throughout 1936 and 1939. The Mufti was violently uh, against the Jews, uh, starting in the 20s, and then after 1933, linked himself up with Hitler, mm -hmm. uh, and in the end, ended up spending the war years in Berlin making radio broadcasts on behalf of Hitler and Nazism, and even went to Bosnia to raise a Muslim armed unit to fight alongside uh, the Wehrmacht and the Waffen-SS. So this is no safe haven intended, and this is no welcoming or anything else that the Congresswoman tried to befuddle the people who were listening to her. You know, it's interesting, that Mufti of Jerusalem, the Hajiman el-Husseini, now I said of Jerusalem, and the Hajj Aman el-Husseini, a man who had the desire to wipe all the Jewish people off the Middle East and then, as Winkies just told us, join with Hitler to do the same thing there in Europe. Well, Winky, I don't want to keep you away from making your chicken soup very long, but uh, thank you so much for what you've given us. Great insight, great historic information you passed along to us. We're trying to straighten people out here in America, so they will ultimately know the truth. Thank you so much. Shabbat Shalom, and uh, we'll talk to you again real soon. Jimmy, thanks for the opportunity, and to you and our listeners, goodbye. We give Madad, giving us details about Nakba Day, which is a very important Palestinian day, the disaster that they commemorate when the nation of Israel made an announcement to the world that they were once again a nation among all the nations of the world. Very interesting insight also on what the Congresswoman said about the Holocaust and the Palestinian offer of a safe haven. Well, we switch from one region of the world to another major region of the world. We're talking about the continent of Europe, and in particular, the European Union, and the man that covers that for us, John Rood. John, let me get into information I need you to speak to right away. 
Talk to me about uh, the concerns. I think there are three major concerns that Europe has about Iran with the situation of the United States tensions with Iran heating up. What is Europe looking at in this relationship? Yes, the EU has been very careful in their dealings with Iran these last several years. One time they sent a uh, delegation saying it was all wrapped up, but nothing was accomplished. So in a think tank type approach, uh, there's three main concerns of a stance of maximum pressure against Iran that Europe is concerned with. So these would be, number one, that it would actually lead to a regime change, which is more than just persuading the current leadership. The second would be there would be a new wave of refugees, which would be far more than the refugees that have come from Syria. And then the third is an actual uh, possibility that could lead to war. So Europe is very concerned. As we've spoken before, they're very concerned about their economic ties. And so they're looking and examining these possibilities right now. Well, the entire world is focused on the Iranian-U.S. tension buildup that's unfolding in the Middle East. So Europe should be looking at it, and the European Union as well, and trying to make some very important decisions. Yes, and that's why we keep you right here at this broadcast table every time we get together for Prophecy Today weekend to discuss these particular issues and watch the political setting the stage for the prophetic there in that very key region of the world, in particular the European Union. John, thank you so very much for this report. We'll talk again next week. Thank you. John Rood with that European Union update. We want to stay on top of what's happening politically there in the European Union because it is setting, of course, the stage for the prophetic to be fulfilled. Well, another man that looks often at Europe, and in particular Rome, Italy, keeps an eye on what's going on, what the Pope's doing, and his strategy in these seemingly the last days is Mike Gendron. Mike has an organization called Proclaiming the Gospel, and that is at the location on the internet, proclaimingthegospel.org. I would suggest you go there. Mike, it's great to have you along. And by the way, just before we get underway with the conversation, I want to focus on the Pope and prophecy. And in fact, you have a brand new DVD, Prophecy and the Pope. Is that correct? Well, that's correct, because as you know, Jimmy, this Pope has been pushing the ecumenical agenda fast forward. He's uh, really trying to create a global religion. And now we see that he's using his influence throughout the world to demand a global government, a governing body that will rule over sovereign nations. And so I cover all of this in my DVD entitled Prophecy on the Pope. How could people get a copy of that if they would like to? Yeah, they can go to our website and click on store and go down to video messages and they will see that the message Prophecy on the Pope is coupled with another message, Prophecies Surrounding the Rapture. So they get both of them for a reduced price today of 20% off. Well, that's great. Thank you so very much, and I hope our listeners will take advantage of this reduced price 20% discount. And that place to go is proclaimingthegospel.org. Now, that leads us in then to what I want to have a conversation with you about, Mike. And let me just begin it this way. I don't think I've ever asked you this question. 
I understand the mission of your ministry is to go proclaim the gospel, especially to the international community of Catholics. Many people, and I watch them on the news uh, talking about their religion, which is Catholicism, they believe that they are involved in a true religion. Many people talk that way. They don't understand it. When you refer to a Christian in the Middle East, most of the time you're talking about the Catholic community there. So why then, if everybody thinks it's an okay religion, are you working to try to win as many Catholics to Jesus Christ? Now, we don't want to take the rest. The whole conversation could be taken up in that. But why do you believe Catholics need to know the true gospel? Well, Jimmy, that's a great question. As a Roman Catholic for 35 years, I was told and taught that the Roman Catholic Church is the one true church founded by Jesus Christ. But what they did not tell me, and what Catholics need to know today, is that beginning in the 4th century, the Catholic Church started departing from the faith of the apostles into apostasy. Rather than submit to the supreme authority of God's Word, they started bringing in pagan traditions And so the Catholic Church is an apostate religion today, and Roman Catholics need to be rescued because they're embracing a false and fatal gospel. They need to know the true gospel, that Jesus Christ is the all-sufficient Savior, and that you must come to him with empty hands of faith. Yes, that is a key component of the ministry of Mike Gendron, Proclaiming the Gospel, and ProclaimingTheGospel.org. I want you to go there and find out what you can. Well, in light of that statement, and I would imagine it's on your new DVD, Prophecy and the Pope, haven't seen it yet, looking forward to doing that, but Pope Francis seems to be accelerating the Vatican strategy to unite all religions, does he not? Well, that's true. You can see week by week and month by month he's building bridges into all the religions of the world, primarily the Muslims. And we have talked in the past about how Islam and Catholicism will converge, probably through a catalyst, the apparitions of Mary, since both Catholics and Muslims esteem her as the most revered woman who has ever lived. We know that lying signs and wonders will unite the world into a global religion, and I believe the apparitions of Mary will be that catalyst. Well, the ultimate goal, then, is to convert the world to Catholicism, and that would be all under Pope Francis today, unless he dies before the the next pope that comes along. Pretty interesting strategy. Yes, it is, and now we see that he is demanding not recommending, but demanding a new governing body to rule over sovereign nations. And, Jimmy, I know that many of your listeners have studied Bible prophecy, and the proposed global government is a precursor to the day that kings will hand over their power and authority to the beast that we know as the Antichrist. And this is what the Pope is seeking to do today. He's asking sovereign nations to give their power and sovereignty to a global authority such that there will be no more sovereign nations and a global government will actually dictate whether or not we can have power within our nation. Primarily, the Pope is looking for climate change and for the common good of the people. And Jimmy actually looked up what the Catholic Church defines as the common good. According to the Catholic Church, the common good is defined as 
the complete development of all the people of the world. In fact, it was Pope John the Twenty-Third who described it as the sum total of conditions whereby persons are enabled more fully to achieve their own perfection. So from an outside source, this looks like a good cause for the common good of the people. But this is how the Pope is trying to push forward this global government for climate change. Actually, he also talked about immigration as well, that sovereign nations should welcome migrants into their country because migrants are good for the growth of a country. And I would like to ask the Pope, since the Vatican City is a sovereign nation in itself, why doesn't the Pope invite migrants into the Vatican City? Hmm. And the Pope is also asking that nations no longer have walls, that they would open their borders. Well, again, I would ask the Pope, since the Vatican City is surrounded by a 30-foot wall, why doesn't he lead by example and tear down his wall, and then the rest of the world will do the same? But he doesn't do this. That's a great idea. I've never thought about that before. That's interesting, Mike. Well, we will have a discussion on uh, climate change and also immigration at another time. But uh, there is something that many really true born-again Bible-believing Christians have joined with Catholicism, with the Pope, in fighting. That's abortion. Uh, and that's an absolute, and I'm glad for their stand on abortion. But are we compromising if we join with them? I've been involved in the pro-life movement for over 30 years, and uh, I know a lot of Catholics are involved in that. What are your thoughts there? Yes, in fact, I also have gone out to abortion mills, and I have protested, I have prayed, I have proclaimed the gospel, not only to the women coming in, but also to the many Roman Catholics who were protesting outside abortion clinics with their rosaries and their statues of Mary. And we can never join hands with unbelievers because Roman Catholics submit to a different spiritual father, and we see that in John chapter 8. Jesus called the Pharisees, the apostate Jews, children of the devil. And so until you come to faith in Jesus Christ, then the spiritual father will not be the Holy Father in heaven And so we need to evangelize Roman Catholics. They are standing firm against the abortion movement. But I think there is a hidden agenda there as well, Jimmy. The Roman Catholic strategy is to dominate the world through population growth. And so they're against abortion for the reason that they want more and more Catholics to be born into the world. Many people don't realize that when Catholic families have babies, that they're immediately baptized into the Roman Catholic Church. Mm. And this is also similar to Islam. They grow their religion through birth. Yeah, very interesting thoughts there as well, Mike. And I think I see what your strategy is. Go join with them only for the opportunity to have them gathered in one place and give them the true gospel of Jesus Christ. All of this that we're talking about seems to be leading to the book of Revelation, chapter 17, One World Church, chapter 18, a One World Government. Am I pretty on target from your perspective? Well, you're right. In fact, any student of Bible prophecy knows there will be a false prophet and a world ruler who will usher in a time of peace and prosperity on the earth. It was the Apostle John who described the ruler as having power and great authority 
that is given to him by Satan. We see that in Revelation 13:2. So ultimately, he will receive worship from people all over the world and have authority over every tribe, every people, every language, and every nation. And so, again, what we see the Pope doing in this announcement last week, calling for a global government, is a precursor to what we see in Revelation. We also see in Daniel, Daniel prophesied a revived Roman Empire. In fact, in Daniel 7, verses 20 to 24, he talks about the fourth beast that will be a fourth kingdom on the earth, and this will be different from any other kingdom, and it will devour the whole earth and tread it down and crush it. So this global government, the revived Roman Empire, will ultimately take over the world, and that will be where the Antichrist will rule from. Great information from Mike Gendron. He has an organization entitled Proclaiming the Gospel. Their address on the internet, proclaimingthegospel.org, and it tells you much about a ministry of winning Catholics, a great mission field, winning Catholics to Jesus Christ and the Pope's strategy uh, to unite the world under a false religiosity. Great information, I'm sure, will be found on the DVD that Mike has offered to all of our listeners, Prophecy and the Pope. Go to that website, proclaimingthegospel.org. You can then go to the bookstore and pick up that particular DVD. Hey, Mike, thanks for all the great information. Thanks for your ministry. Stay at the task, buddy. Stay on the wall, and we'll be praying for you. Looking forward to another conversation real soon. Thank you, Jimmy. Good to be with you. Great report from Mike Gendron there, and in fact, from all of our broadcast partners. We have one left, David James. We're going to be talking about the abortion law that Alabama just passed, and the governor has signed. That's all ahead in our last half hour, right here on Prophecy Today. Hi, everybody. This is Jimmy DeYoung here at Broadcast Central in Chattanooga, Tennessee. We're moving into our third half hour. David James is standing by. We're going to be talking about Alabama's new abortion bill and the heartbeat bills around the country being presented and passed as law in a number of states. That's around the corner. Stand by for the interview with David James. Here's my poll question. If you go to my website, the home page on the left-hand column, scroll down to the poll question and answer this question, if you will. A fact of Bible prophecy is that Iran, biblical Persia, that Iran is a key player in the end-of-time scenario that's found in Ezekiel chapter 38 and verse 5. Could the uptick in the tensions between the United States and Iran today be setting the stage for the fulfillment of Ezekiel's prophecy today? Well, that's the question I would love for you to answer. And while you're on the website, find out about the tours. Jim Jr. and Rick, our two sons, are in Israel as I speak with a tour We'd love to have you come and go with us. Go to prophecytoday.com, then Joshua Travel. Get all the information you need, the cost, the dates, the itinerary, etc. That's prophecytoday.com. 
We now bring to these microphones David James. We, David and myself, have a conversation each and every week. We focus on an issue that is confronting the body of Christ, an issue that we must have a biblical understanding of. So this week we're going to discuss Alabama's new abortion bill and the heartbeat bills around the country as well. But David, before we get to our main topic for today, I want you to share an email that you received from a young lady. I read it. It was just a thrilling email. Uh, She stumbled on the website, the Alliance for Biblical Integrity, a couple of days ago, and she sent you an email. Tell us about it. Sure, and I want our listeners to understand that you're a part of this as well because you're one of the founding members of the Alliance for Biblical Integrity, and and this email is just an example of some of the uh, impact that the Lord is allowing us to have. A young lady wrote me this email, Growing up, I raised believing that salvation is solely by works. However, when I was 15, after losing my brother, I realized that the theology behind that concept was wrong. Shortly after, I left the church and began to immerse myself in crippling sin. Lately, I've begun to see how destructive my behavior has been. You had no idea what to do. And today, I stumbled upon your website and read through the Eternity page, which is where I have the Gospel. I read through the Eternity page, and as I read, I understood the truth of the Gospel, and that though I have wasted quite a few years of my life, I'm not too far gone. After much thought, I've decided to give my life to Christ and to begin living my life accordingly. Thank you for your ministry and for unknowingly pursuing the lost like me. I look forward to finding out how to grow in my relationship with Christ. And uh, I've written back to her and, and uh, encouraged her to stay in touch and also give her uh, quite a few different suggestions for resources. Wow, that is great. That, that is so thrilling. Praise the Lord. And folks, if you're listening to our conversation today, lift this young lady. We don't know her name. I don't anyway. Uh, but lift her up in prayer that God will strengthen her as she starts this new life. I love the little phrase, she stumbled onto God's hand in working that all out. That's that's really thrilling, David. Well, on Tuesday of this week, the Alabama State Legislature sent the most restrictive abortion bill in the nation to the governor's desk, and she signed it into law on Wednesday. Talk about it. Sure. Well, as you noted, uh, it was Alabama's Republican governor, a lady named Kay Ivey, and she did sign into law the nation's strictest abortion ban to date, and it was passed by the Republican-led Senate 25 to 6, so that's a very strong passage by the Senate. This new law follows on the heels of a heartbeat bill that was passed in Georgia just last week, and that law prohibits abortions once a fetal heartbeat can be detected, which is usually around six weeks into a pregnancy. Now, Alabama's new law makes it a felony to perform an abortion in nearly all cases, and the governor did acknowledge that the law was crafted specifically to give the Supreme Court's conservative majority a chance to criminalize abortion nationwide, but of course there's no guarantee it will make it that far. Uh, The law will go into effect in six months unless it's blocked by legal challenges, which it almost certainly will be, and it, it could be tied up in the courts for years. And the American Civil Liberties Union and Planned Parenthood have already announced plans to file lawsuits against it, arguing that it's unconstitutional. Well, David, uh, let's take a moment and dig into this a bit more. Is this a heartbeat bill or something more? For example, most abortion bills have exemptions for rape and incest. What exemptions are there in this Alabama bill? 
Well, there are several things. First of all, Alabama's bill is more restrictive than a heartbeat bill. The current laws in effect in both Georgia and Alabama outlaw abortion after 20 weeks, and that's before these recent bills were introduced. And as I mentioned, heartbeat bills generally take that time frame down to six weeks, but Alabama's new law would make it illegal to perform abortions at any stage in the pregnancy with only three explicit exceptions, and these exceptions do not include cases of rape or incest. What they do include are uh, if the baby has some type of lethal anomaly, meaning that it will definitely die, or if there's a serious health risk to the mother, or in the case of an ectopic pregnancy, and that's when a baby is in a fallopian tube rather than the uterus, which makes it impossible for the baby to live to a point of viability, and that can be fatal to the mother as well. And also it's more strict with regard to penalties for doctors who perform abortions. For example, the Georgia bill provides for not less than one or more than 10 years in prison, but the Alabama bill makes it a felony punishable from 10 to 99 years Mm. or even life in prison for those doctors involved in performing abortions. So even though this would, in effect, make abortion essentially a murder crime, uh, women seeking abortions under this law would not face that charge. It's strictly for the abortion providers. Well, uh, I want you to give us a report. You must have been watching this very closely. Talk to us about the mainstream media and those on the left who are responding to the passage of this bill. Well, I would say probably the best way to describe it is that their heads are exploding. Mm -hmm. The stronger reaction is coming out of Hollywood and the Democrat Party, though. Among those who have weighed in out of Hollywood are Chelsea Handler, Barbara Streisand, Alyssa Milano, Stephen Colbert, and and many others. John Legend, who is a musician, well-known musician, said these state houses are waging all-out war on women. Uh, Jane Lynch, who is actually a lesbian, said the goal is to control women. Lady Gaga said it's an outrage to ban abortion in Alabama, period. Then among the Democrat candidates for president in 2020, you have Cory Booker who said this, I will fight in solidarity with women to make sure rights guaranteed by Roe v. Wade will not be threatened by those who have no business making laws about their bodies. Uh, Kamala Harris said this, outrageous news coming out of Alabama. This law would effectively ban abortions in the state and criminalize doctors for doing their jobs, providing health care to women. Another candidate, Eric Swalwell, said this, a lawless president has inspired lawless legislatures. Our laws are crystal clear. The government cannot come between a woman and her doctor early in a pregnancy. So this is really turning into quite a cultural battle in the ongoing cultural wars. Yes, it looks like the war is on. Well, David, a number of abortion bills have been passed this year in other states as well, and it seems that this movement at the state level, by the way, may be gaining enough momentum to challenge Roe versus Wade there at the Supreme Court. I think that's right. According to some reports, as many as 30 different abortion laws have been passed by current state legislatures. Now, not all of those are uh, heartbeat bills, but at least 15 states have either passed or proposed heartbeat bills under their their current legislatures. For example, in March, Mississippi passed a heartbeat bill, and as I mentioned, Georgia passed a heartbeat bill last week. In April, uh, Indiana placed a near-total ban on the most common type of second-trimester abortion uh, in our state, and days later, Ohio passed a bill banning abortion in the very early weeks of pregnancy, and this was a heartbeat bill. 
Uh, then uh, on Wednesday of this week, uh, a committee of the Louisiana House in Baton Rouge uh, advanced a fetal heartbeat bill as abortion rights activists were actually demonstrating outside the Senate chamber. And then early Thursday, just a couple of days ago, uh, the Missouri Senate passed a fetal heartbeat bill that includes an exception for medical emergencies, but does not include an exception for pregnancies caused by rape or incest. So over time, the courts have actually become more sympathetic, and a broad swath of the country's middle and south now has minimal access to the procedure. For example, six states have only one abortion clinic left in them. That would be Kentucky, Mississippi, Missouri, North Dakota, South Dakota, and West Virginia. So this is spreading. And I would say this, too. This is rapidly becoming a state's rights issue related to personhood. And if we remember our history, uh, this exact issue except related to blacks uh, is what precipitated the civil war in the 1860s so this is very important for the future of our country i would say yes and the body of christ needs to understand what we're talking about here i know one of the arguments used by the pro-abortion camp is that a woman has a right concerning what happens to her own body however scientifically this isn't just about a woman's body. It's about the life of another human being as well. That's exactly right. The baby has a completely unique genetic code that's distinct from the genetic code, the DNA of b- both its father and its mother. It's a unique person, uh, and only one person, unless it's a twin or a, a triplet or something like that, no other human being will ever have that identical a genetic code. And being dependent on the mother and being part of the mother's body are two different things. A nursing baby has a dependent relationship with the mother, but uh, that baby is not a part of her body. And those with physical and mental disabilities are completely dependent upon others for survival, and, and the elderly as well. So what are we going to do with them? And I think this is something that we need to watch. And if the baby is part of the mother's body, then does that mean she has more than one heart, more than one brain, or additional organs, or additional hands and feet. And then what if the baby is a boy? Does that mean that she is both male and female until delivery? So it kind of gets absurd. And I would also say this, it's actually medical science that's going to destroy this argument, because on the one side, there is in vitro fertilization with conception occurring outside the womb, and they're able to remain viable for longer before they implant. And on the other side, medical advances are making viability outside the womb earlier and earlier. So I think ultimately there's coming the time when there's going to be a convergence so that a baby will be able to develop in a completely artificial environment. And if that happens, this uh, idea that it's a part of the woman's body is completely gone. You know, those were some great arguments, David. Boy, that's outstanding. If you're listening to this interview right now, you may want to go back and re-listen to it because you need to write down what David had to say in response to my question. Well, one more, David. When we covered the topic of abortion earlier this year, I remember that you discussed what you believe to be one of the strongest biblical arguments against abortion and for the idea that life does begin at conception. Well, for those who claim to be Christians, abortion should be a non-starter because it is clear from the incarnation of Jesus Christ that life must begin at conception. And except for the most ultra-liberal Christians, those who 
claim to be uh, Christians, we believe that the Bible teaches God became a man in the person of Jesus Christ. So the question then is, when did God take on human flesh? And the only reasonable answer, the only logical answer, the only biblical answer can be that it happened at conception. It wasn't at birth, it wasn't at 20 weeks, it wasn't even when he began to have a heartbeat. And when Mary visited her cousin Elizabeth, Elizabeth referred to Mary as the mother of my Lord while she while Jesus was still in Mary's womb. So what if Mary's attitude had been the same as that of some politicians and other pro-abortion activists who claimed to be Christians, like Nancy Pelosi, for example? So that uh, as our dear departed friend Stan Toussaint would say, uh, that bird won't fly, that dog won't hunt. That is right, and love that quote from Stan Toussaint. This, David, was a very serious issue that needs to be discussed by the body of Christ, and thanks for giving us the information you have today. And again, folks, you may want to re-listen to the conversation. Go to my website, prophecytoday.com. Go to PTRN Prophecy Today Radio Network, where we've archived this conversation with David James and myself. Hey, David, thanks a lot for the research, buddy. We'll talk again next week with another issue. Thanks so much, Jimmy. Great to be with you. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, I'll open the Bible. We'll take a look at the book right here on Prophecy Today. Hey everyone, this is Dave James with the Alliance for Biblical Integrity. You hear me each week discussing current theological issues with Jimmy DeYoung on the Prophecy Today weekend broadcast. We founded the Alliance for Biblical Integrity because we saw a need for an apologetics and discernment ministry that would be an important resource for local churches, schools, and ministry organizations that face ever-changing theological challenges in today's world. I teach many different courses and seminars in the United States and around the world and can tailor the seminars for Sunday schools, Bible studies, and church services, and the courses for weekend conferences of 6 to 10 hours. For more information, you can go to the ABI website at biblicalintegrity.org. That's one word, biblicalintegrity.org, and click on Courses and Seminars on the main menu. You can also contact me personally through the contact page on the ABI website. I look forward to hearing from you. Just how close are we to the rapture of the church? Do events taking place in the Middle East and around the world have prophetic significance? In his latest book, Sound the Trumpets, Jimmy DeYoung examines these questions and explains just how near the rapture of the church could possibly be. By comparing four trends from prophetic scripture to current events taking place in the world today, Jimmy shows that the stage is set. Every actor is in place, and the curtain is about to go up on the end-time scenario set forth in the scriptures. Sound the Trumpets is a must-read for every serious student of Bible prophecy. To order your copy of Jimmy DeYoung's new book, Sound the Trumpets, for only $15, call us today at 8-PROPHECY-8. That's 877-674-3298. Or visit us on the World Wide Web at prophecytoday.com. Call today and make sure to get your copy of Sound the Trumpets. It's time right now here on Prophecy Today for us to take a look at the book. On Prophecy Today weekend, our broadcast partners were ready with details on current events in many parts of this world today, especially in the Middle East. 
The tensions between the United States and Iran have been ratcheted up almost to the point of an all-out war. By the way, if you missed any of these reports from our broadcast partners, please go over to my website, prophecytoday.com, and there you will be able to hear these reports archived for you to be able to listen to them or re-listen if you wanted to get more information on any of the interviews. And by the way, please tell a friend. They need to go to prophecytoday.com, PTRN, and listen to these very important detailed interviews from our broadcast partners. Today, the broadcast partners gave us essential details on a number of situations, but in particular the Middle East and the ratcheting up of tensions between the United States and Iran. Ken Timmerman gave us a report telling us that U.S. personnel in the Middle East are being moved to safe havens. Actually, they moved those in the U.S. embassy there in Iraq first, when the Secretary of State went in to meet with the leadership of Iraq and to tell them about the potential activities of a war between Iran and the United States. The intel tells us that Iran is ready to go after U.S. personnel in the Middle East and go after American facilities there. They're ready to take the United States on head-to-head, or they will use their proxies— like Hezbollah, Hamas, the Houthis in Yemen, Iraq, and their militia. One of the reasons the Secretary of State went there, because there are 100,000 Iranian soldiers in Iraq, and they could be a great danger to all the Americans that are in that country. Well, this is talked about in Ezekiel chapter 38 and verse 5. I mentioned in the poll question, Iran or Persia? Well, in verse 5 of Ezekiel 38, they're mentioned as Persia, a longtime ally for the Jewish nation. But in recent years, they've turned against the United States, and they're now an enemy because Persia of yesterday is Iran of today. David Dolan talked about the Golan Heights, the next target from this battle in the Middle East, You know, Iran wants the Golden Heights as a launch pad in order to be able to destroy the Jewish state of Israel. As we speak in Kenetra, which is just two and a half miles north of the Israeli border, there are Iranian troops. And over in the Persian Gulf, Iran has gone after oil tankers, oil fields in Saudi Arabia. That was target number one, target number two, target number three. According to information coming out of Iran and the Revolutionary Guard, will be the Golan Heights. Strategically, it will be high ground for the Iranians to make their move to wipe Israel off the face of the earth, which is what Psalm 83 actually tells us will take place. And that's very interesting for us to know as we understand Bible prophecy for that part of the world. Winky Madad talked about Nakba Day, that's N-A-K-B-A, Nakba Day, which means catastrophe or disaster. The Palestinian people, they observe Nakba Day on the day that Israel announced they were a nation among the nations of the world, and they called that a tragedy, a disaster, a catastrophe. 
Well, the Palestinians were foretold that they would come on the scene. They would be major players. They would return to build their cities, their borders. The Lord said in Malachi 1, those borders would be the borders of wickedness. In Ezekiel 35, the prophet Ezekiel said that the Palestinian people, the people of Mount Seir, would come back, they would kill the Jews, and then steal their land. That prophetic scenario is being played out in the Middle East today. John Rood, he's the one who covers the European Union for us. He was talking about the concerns that the European Union have about Iran. At first, they said what's happening between the United States and Iran is just too much rhetoric that should not be spoken. But wait a minute. They're starting to realize and recognize what is happening in that part of the world. Now, they are preparing to make decisions that will assist them in what may be their part, the revived Roman Empire. Oh, excuse me, the European Union. Synonymous terms might be what their part might be in this ratcheting up of tensions between the United States and Iran. By the way, Mike Gendron came as a broadcast partner to this broadcast table, had some very important information about the Pope. The Pope is into globalism. He wants a one-world religion and a one-world government. He says that he is ready to be the one who can put that all together. Well, that's sounding exactly like what Revelation 17 says. John the Revelator wrote there would be a one-world religiosity in the seven-hilled city of Rome, Italy. You read the chapter that is describing what we're seeing formed there in Rome today. But then after the Antichrist destroys that false religion, he actually goes over to a place called Babylon. That's modern-day Iraq on the shores of the Euphrates River. And there they're going to put up a satanic one-world government economic political system. Well, the Pope is calling for globalism. He is the precursor to setting all of that up, and it looks like it is on the horizon. It's getting better into focus every single day. David James talked about what I believe is the greatest blasphemy that can be made against God. That is the killing of children in the wombs of their mothers. We discussed the Alabama abortion law that was just passed and signed by the Alabama governor and other states who are putting together a law that would prohibit abortions in their state, basically when the child in the womb of the mother has a heartbeat. You might want to listen to that. David gave some great information that you would benefit by from listening to it. Go to my website, prophecytoday.com. Go to PTRN. You can listen to David's report. But all the reports that I've just given you a look at here on a look at the book would also indicate that the next event on God's calendar of activities, the rapture of the church, could actually happen at any moment. By saying that, that the rapture could take place any time in the future, leaves me with nothing else to say except let's keep looking up until... Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today. Thank you.